Welcome to New Beginnings. Welcome to New Beginnings Church. Um, I don't appreciate how y'all were laughing just at the thought of us being in a gym. That was what was what I didn't get was like we, we, we wrote this thing. But then it was like y'all are laughing at stuff that wasn't meant to be funny. Like just me in a gym, apparently is humorous to some of you. So anyway, uh, hopefully you weren't offended by that video. But uh, um, today we are in part two of a series called baggage. Everybody say baggage. Baggage, yeah, we all have it. Um, sometimes we feel our baggage. You, you notice that? Like sometimes it, we feel it comes out in our relationships. It comes out in our conversations, people that we interact with. And all of a sudden we respond to something and we sit back and we're like, why did I do that? Why did I get so angry? Why did I behave that way? Why did I do that? Or why did that person make me feel that way? And then all of a sudden what we've done is we've become aware that we have... Some baggage. And last week we talked about the baggage of anger and, and how really most of us are in that category. If, if we don't harbor some type of personal anger towards somebody, we at least battle uh, what we call circumstantial anger. That just in the moment, somebody made us so mad and we reacted wildly and we responded crazily. And so, so, so the Bible has some very specific things on how we should deal with and process through our anger. Because as long as you keep carrying that baggage... Guess what? You're going to always put that out on somebody else. You're always going to be limited in life. You're always going to struggle through life. You will never achieve all that God has for you in this life. Why? Because you're just carrying weights and baggage and it's it's just tough. Today, we will look at something new. We will talk talk about the, the subject of envy. Envy. Now, most of you in here probably don't think that you have a problem with envy. And I thought that too until, let me tell you how I came to this conclusion. What I was doing was I thought, well, I really think that envy is a problem for people. But when I compare myself to other people, I really don't have that big of a problem with comparing myself to people. Does that make sense? Like, because envy is that envy is the thing where we look at what somebody else has and we want we want what they have. And if it goes far enough, we wish they would lose what they had. And it's all rooted in the idea of of comparison, that we live in a world where we're constantly looking over our right shoulder, our left shoulder to see what have they got and what have they got and where am I at and where do I stand? And I realized that as I compared myself to you, that I probably didn't have a problem with comparison. But that alone is the problem. The very fact that I'm comparing myself to you thinking I might have a little bit less of a comparison issue is proof that we all we all compare, don't we? And and most of us don't see it. As a matter of fact, um, some of you. Uh, some of you are looking at me right now and you're saying something's different about him. You're thinking he must be working out or something. No, I'm, I'm wearing glasses today. Uh, first time ever wearing glasses. I've never worn glasses in my life. How many of you wear glasses? I, you know, what's amazing. It's almost like the car thing. You know, you buy a car and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. You start wearing glasses and you realize everybody wears glasses. I didn't, I didn't know this. There are a lot of people wear glasses. So I didn't, let me tell you what I didn't know because some of you have envy but you don't know that you have envy. And, and, and I didn't know that I had eyeball issues. That's what I didn't know. So I went to the eye doctor for my son. And I thought, well, I'm here and I haven't had my eyes checked out in a really long time. I'll just get mine looked at and make sure everything's A-OK. So she starts asking me questions. And can you read that line? And can you read? And I'm guessing. You ever do that? Like, you, you, you know, you don't want to be wrong. I might as well throw out a guess. I might get lucky. And so... And so, you know, she says, well, Todd, what you what you have is, is you have astigmatism. And I'm, 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 I don't know what that is. So I'm like, well, what does that mean? And she goes, basically, the, the shape of your eyeball is not round like a ball. It's kind of like a football instead of a basketball. You got a You got a funny shaped eyeball. And I thought, OK, thank you. And um, 
And so I said, well, what does that mean? I'm asking all these questions. And she goes, well, you can get glasses, but you wouldn't have to. It would probably help you drive and see better at night and different things. It would probably make things look cooler. And I'm like, really? I said, well, like, can I try on a pair? Because I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what the, you know, I, I don't know what it would be like. And so she makes me these really ugly, weird, makeshift set of goggly glasses. And she goes, here, take these on and go walk outside. And so I go walk outside, I put all these glasses on, and all of a sudden everything is like high-def television. I, I've been living in standard def, people. As a matter of fact, it, it, this is the honest to God truth. I remember when HD first came out and those 1080iPs things came out, and, and we'd be looking at these movies or sports or whatever it is, and I would like look at it, and I'd get a little bit mad at the television because I thought... How do they do this? This isn't even what real life looks at. Like, how do they make it look so good? That's not what real life looks like. How do they make everything? And I realized that really is what life looks like. But I didn't know that. And so many of us are kind of in that same category of life as many of us have baggage that we don't even know we have. Does that make sense? You, you concealed it. It's in the trunk and you don't look at it. You got it pushed up underneath the bed. You got baggage somewhere, but you're unaware. And this is why many of us, and I'm going to show you this today, many of you are unhappy in life or you have these bouts or seasons of unhappiness where you don't have joy. You're a little bit miserable. You're a little bit depressed. And I'm going to, I'm going to reveal to you why. It's because you have the baggage of envy. You just didn't know that you had the baggage of envy. Are, are you flowing with me so far? Because we live in a world, let's be honest, we live in a very, very high marketing, high advertising society. Can I get an amen? Yeah, you're amening that at church. Thanks. So I realize I had you amen that we, ad, we advertise a lot. But how many you know, like, you live in a world that always tells you that you need something cooler, faster, better, newer, shinier, bigger, smaller, prettier, something er. Everybody say er. You need something better. You need a new eye something. You need a, a car that talks to you, has videos of everything, and can park itself. You need that. Because they, and how many know, too, the infomercials are the best? Because infomercials, here's what they want to do. They want to make you feel like an idiot. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like the guy that can't do this, they make him look like absolute morons, don't they? That's why you need this thing. And so they try to just make you feel... Like you just have to have, and if you don't have that thing, you know what you are? You are less than, you are a lesser person because you don't have our product. I'm, I'm a golfer and, and I, was, I was noticing this trend over the last few years with golf that like golf products are like this. Every year, all these companies come out with a brand new set of whatever, a brand new driver, irons, all this stuff. And they will convince you, absolutely convince you that if you'll get this one, you'll hit the bar farther. If you get this one, you will hit it straighter. You will, it, it, you've got to have it. And they make your old thing, which was the newest thing last year, which they made you feel like you had to have. They'll make you feel like now that is a piece of garbage. And if you don't have this one, you're a nobody. And so we live in this world where we constantly feel the need to have something that we don't have. We look at people that have what we have and we want what they have. And we'd even feel a little bit better in our heart if they lost what they had. Whoa. We'll talk. We'll, let's let's move forward. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the envy that we have. And, and you, let's just take a You ever felt envy over stuff? That's the most obvious one, isn't it? Like you see that car and you think, gosh, I wish I had that car. 
That car is awesome. I wish I had that truck. I wish, I wish, oh, you drive through neighborhoods, like, I wish we lived in this neighborhood. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that boat. I wish I had that thing. Do we, am I the only one that does this? Are we getting quiet because we're convicted? I haven't even gotten to the sermon part. We're just opening the box. So, so we have materialistic, this includes technology. You know what I mean? Like, like what? Well, you got, the, I got, I got the S. You got the S? No, no, I don't have the S. I got the five. I got the four. I got the, you know, like, which one do you got? I mean, like, but I want that one. This is why weird people will stand in lines for days at certain stores to get the newest technology prize. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I don't have, I don't have technology envy. I don't have that one. I have others. And so, okay, you're, you ever felt this one? You ever felt appearance envy, like physical envy? Like, I, I notice this a little bit more with girls than I do with guys. But it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I had her hair. Her hair is amazing. Like, God, I wish I had her hips. Her, she has amazing hips. I had, I had a woman, I shouldn't even say this. I'll tell you. I had a woman come up to my wife. She's like, you have the most amazing, and I'll leave it blank. But like, how did you get that? And so anyway, like, like, like that's odd. Y'all women check each other out. Like, I didn't know that. Like, dudes don't do that. Like, I've never looked at you and be like, wow, I really love your beard. I really want that. I, I don't do that. That was just the first thing I saw. I, I don't. I don't look. I, let, let me help you. Every one of you dudes is ugly. I just want you all to know that. Like, y'all, y'all are ugly, and I don't want nothing you got. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but now, now, now we're different, though. Guys are different, though, because we will be like, we'll see, like, we, I don't think we compare to other dudes that we know. We compare dudes we don't know. We like see a dude in a magazine like, God, I wish my arms looked like that. You know, or man, I wish I had that eight pack abs that glistened all the time like that. Like, like looked like it had like Hawaiian sun tanner with spray and, you know, it was just dripping, you know, each ab was a shelf and water fell off of it like a, like a waterfall of goodness. And, and, but, but, okay. Anybody ever had appearance envy, physical envy? Like, oh, I love her ankles. She has amazing ankles. <laughs> I've heard it, y'all. Ladies are weird. Um, relational envy. Relational envy. If you're single, you wish you weren't single. They got a guy, and you don't even know how they got a guy, and they didn't deserve that guy, and you really, really wanted a guy, and you should be with that guy, but instead they're with that guy, and you have, you have relational envy. Guys are like, oh, I wish, I, I wish she could be mine. God, if you would just make her mine, I promise I would give you everything. And so we want relationship. We, hey, now this is where it gets even weirder. Uh, some of us have marital envy. Some of us look at our spouse and we're like, oh. I wish my wife was a lot lower like his wife. Gosh, she's so just sweet and, you know, she works out all the time and. You know, she's just so kind and she cooks and she cleans and she, you know, you don't know what she's really like, but that's what you've drawn up in your mind. And, and guys, just so you know, they do that to us too. Like, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish, I wish my husband could fix stuff, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had a personal moment there. I don't fix anything. Uh, that's my wife. I just dimed her out right there. That's my wife. Wish my husband could fix things. Um, so, so we do. Sometimes we have marital envy. We wish our spouse was a little bit more like their spouse. All right. Just don't look at your wife or your husband right now. Just don't do that. Some of us have parental envy. This gets weird. Some of y'all look at your kids. You're like, God, my kid is so dumb. Why do they do that? Or my kid is so rebellious or my kid's attitude. I wish my kid were obedient like their Why is their kid so obedient? Or like you, you got friends and their kid can play the piano and has never had a lesson. Plays, plays, you know, Beethoven by ear. And you're like, God, why can't my kid be like that? You know, 
your kids over there kicking the wall for fun, and you're like. Or you see this other kid. I know, I know like, like certain kids are like this. Like you're the guy that wishes his kid were like this all-star jock of a kid. And your kid, your kid likes to paint instead. So you're mad. Like why can't, you know, why can't he just go wrestle things and, and punch people? And that's what I really want. And so like we end up having parental. Y'all are laughing. Man, I've seen this junk. Hey, some of us have talent envy. We, we do this. We look at what other people are great at. Like, I've always had talent envy over people that can sing. Because, I mean, you know, you never, you ever had that? You have talent envy over people that can do things that you, I cannot dance. This is, this is why when I see those dance shows on TV, I'm always fascinated. Because I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Why? I can't dance. I wish I could sing. I cannot sing. I have, so I have these, uh, these moments where it's like, man, I wish I could. Lord, if you could just touch my voice, you know, and you just... Bless me with the chords of angels, you know, that kind of a thing. Then, then I would be happier in life. And so this is the type of envy. And again, if we're not careful, there's a darker side of envy. I want to say the milder side of envy is when we just want what you have. That's fairly mild. But let's be honest. There are certain times in our life where the darker side of envy hits us. And I'll prove it to you. Like that guy that's super rich, and all of a sudden you find out that he lost a lot of money. You smiled on the inside, didn't you? You're like, yeah. Just a little bit happier. Because you were envious that they had all that stuff and took those cool vacations and had those cool toys and had all that stuff. And all of a sudden he lost a lot of money, and on the inside you're just a little bit happier. Or, you know, remember the whole parental thing? Like, you think your, your kids are a little crazy, and so all of a sudden, the, the, the parents that have the perfect kids, all of a sudden, that kid gets thrown in jail or whatever. You're like, see? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. You, why are you happy? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the proof that there is evil in the world? <laughs> the fact that we are happy when someone fails. We are happy when someone uh, makes a misstep or loses it or, or whatever it is. It's like, you know, you're jealous that... that that they're in a relationship and then you're not. And then all of a sudden when they go through a breakup, you're just a little, just, just a smidgen happier. At least they get to share in your misery of being single is the way you feel. And we have this darker side of envy. Today, I want to look at just a few scriptures because I think Solomon is, is a genius. Solomon wrote some of the Old Testament books of the Bible. He wrote Proverbs he wrote some of the Psalms. He wrote Song of Songs. Or, uh, he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. These are what many times we refer to as the, the, the wisdom literature of the Bible. And Solomon, Solomon was considered the wisest man who ever lived. And this is what you need to know about Solomon. Because when he says this stuff, your kickback is going to be like, yeah, but you don't know. No, he does know. The guy had 300 wives. Not to mention the 600 concubines, which I don't even want to describe what that is. So, so like, if, if you think you want your wife to be prettier, he had prettier wives than you did. Does that make sense? Like, whatever, prettier. Does that make sense? If you say, well, you know, he doesn't know. No, no, no. Solomon had more wealth. He was the richest man of his day in the entire world. So whatever, you want to be rich, he was rich-er. He had more than you. As a matter of fact, you, you wish you were smarter. He was smart Est. I'd trick you if that now. Yes. Other than Jesus, the Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived. Literally, kings and queens from other nations would come and sit at his footsteps and ask him questions because they thought he was that brilliant. 
I'm telling you, he was so smart. And what he keys on in here, if you have your Bible, go to Ecclesiastes chapter four. And I want you to read this with me because he breaks it off and makes just some incredible just sense out of life. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four, the Bible says this. He says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement. Everybody say all. Notice that like he's lumping everything together. This is without exception. All, all toil, all achievement. They spring from one place. They spring from one person's envy of another. Meaning like this. And you got to remember this. Not only was he richer, smarter, had prettier, had more, better, all that. He had all that, right? You need to know that he wrote this 3000 years ago. Because we would all admit that we live in a day of incredible marketing and advertising and we're in a we're in a world that we we're constantly comparing each other. We're constantly flooding images. He wrote this three thousand years ago. I don't even know what it was like. I I just don't imagine they had the same level of temptation that we had. But even then, three thousand years ago, you know what he noticed? He goes, I'm observing people. And what I observe is that we all do this. What, What do you got? What, what are you driving? What do you, where do you, where do you live? Hey, pastors do this. Y'all want to hear this? There's pastor in the, I don't know if you know this or not. If you ever go to, if you ever go to a, uh, a pastor's conference, they're like, you're, you're mingling. Go, hey, how you doing, man? Hey, how, how, where, where are you pastor? How big's your church? How big is it? First question, how's big your church? And they're like, what's your income? Like how much you really pulling in? Like pastors do that. We just, we just go out and, and have a contest to see who's got the bigger church and the bigger thing. And like, so even pastors do this. And so everybody does this. We're always looking over our shoulder and let me, let me break down some things that we want to be. Er, we all want to be rich. Er, don't we? Can, can it? We do. We look over our right shoulder and our left shoulder and we see people who have money and we want to be we always want to be rich. But I got to be honest, I, I, I think we all want to be rich. What? Er. At least richer than them. We, 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 we won't be skinny, but I'm, I'm going to be skinny. Er. Smart. Er. Tall. Er. Pretty. Er. Hap. Er. Happer. Happy. Happy. Er. Cool, er, t- more talented, er. This is hard to do. Talented, er. We all want a little bit of er in our lives. And at some point, you know, do you remember when you were a kid? You didn't want to be er. You didn't care. You just played with dirt and, and threw things and you didn't care. You got hand-me-downs and you didn't care. You didn't have much and you didn't care. I was, I was, me and my mom were having this conversation earlier this week. And she said, Todd, she goes, I remember growing up and we had the most amazing childhood. We lived in the greatest neighborhood and had all these friends and we just stay outside and play all day. And it was the coolest thing in the world. And she goes, I didn't know we were poor. I, I just didn't know. We didn't know and we didn't care. But once I got into school... Especially into like the middle school and high school, all of a sudden, like, because she's like, my little school, well, we were all poor in that area, so all, we just all went to school together. We didn't know any better. But then when we started going to junior high and high school, I, I didn't know we were poor until I started being around people that weren't poor. And then all of a sudden, they had stuff that I, and all of a sudden, you get to this comparison world, don't you? I, I was like this. I was a kid that was a great swimmer. That was like the, the sport that I was the best at. And I used to own all the different records at my swimming pool. And in the area where I swam, I was always the best. I was a twerp and I was mean about it because I knew I was the best. And then all of a sudden at the end of the season, they'd go, you know, put me in with the other good kids in the rest of the state and the area and all that stuff. I realized I wasn't as faster as I wanted to be. Because all of a sudden, like my world came colliding in on me. And I want, I want to encourage you. You will never be rich-est, pretty-est, 
cool ass. You'll never be that. You will strive your whole life. And so what Solomon says is this. He goes, I noticed there was this thing with people that they were always looking at each other and all of their work to try to be something or do something or get somewhere. They were always trying to compare one another. And this is what he says. He goes, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. You know know what that means? It was his way of saying like, well, you ain't gonna get there. You're just going to struggle and fight. You know what this means? You mean you will never be satisfied. And the reason why some of us are not happy in life is because of this reason right here. It's because we're always looking over somebody else's yard and fence and looking at their car and their house and their stuff and their spouse and their kids. And their and it always seems just to be a little bit better or somewhere else. He goes, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never find peace living like this. And so many of us, we have baggage we didn't know about. We're unhappy and we didn't ever know why. We always thought it was because we didn't have something. And Solomon's going to show you that's not it at all. Because really, what you're doing right now is you have an empty pursuit to get more and you will never have it. Here's how we know this. If you ever ask somebody, how much money do you need to finally feel happy? The answer is this. More than I have right now. That's the answer, because when you were younger, you used to look and think, man, if I could ever make this much money, oh, I would have it made. Well, guess what? Now you have that much money. And are you happy? No. Why? Because all of a sudden the target is moved. See, rich is a moving target, isn't it? And comparison makes the target move because someone's always going to be richer than you. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter four that this is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Verse number five says this. It says fools fold their hands and ruin themselves because some of you would kick back. Some of you would say, but Todd, if I don't achieve and I don't accomplish and I don't, you know, that just means being lazy and not doing nothing with your life. And so that's dumb. And I'm going to keep pursuing and try to have more and try to beat and try to win and outdo and one up. I'm going to do that because I want to be the best and best So Solomon says, no, 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 I'm not saying I'm not saying be lazy. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm challenging the motive of your heart, because what he says is he goes, a fool would just fold their hands and say, oh, well, I guess I won't try anything. So he goes, that's not that's not the goal either. Verse number six, he says this, and this is where he gets a little bit deeper. He says better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Everybody put your two hands out like this. He says better is one handful. With tranquility than to have two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind. He, this is the word picture that he's trying to use. He's like some people live their whole life just trying to get more because I need to be better. I need to one up somebody. I need this to feel better about myself. And so he said people like this, they're never going to be happy in life. The Hebrew imagery would be this. You want to have one hand full of something, but you want your other hand open. So that any point in time, God can put something in your hand or even take something out of your hand and you're completely content no matter what happens. So you're still working. You're, you, you, do you want to leverage all of your talent and potential and ability for the kingdom of God? Yes, absolutely. That's not what we're talking about. Do I want you to work? Yeah, the Bible says, man, that doesn't work. It's, it's worse than an infidel. Yeah, you need to work. You need to try. You need to achieve. You need to accomplish. But not while doing this, trying to one up and be better than somebody else. He goes, make sure that you have one hand open at any time. God can take anything out of your hand or put anything into your hand. But see, the, see, here's the problem. If I've got two handfuls clenched, I can't get any more. And when we feel like we can't get any more, we get frustrated. That's where envy kicks in. 
When we live like this, God can come and go into our lives, bring things in and out, and we are perfectly content and satisfied because God is the one bringing or taking away. But when we're like this, you know what we really want when we have two handfuls? You know what we all really, really want? A third handful. We want more. So the Bible says, Better is one handful with tranquility than to have two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He keeps going. Verse number seven. Again, I got another thing that's meaningless, by the way. His whole sermon's like, let me tell you about nothing. It's like a Seinfeld episode. Let me do a show about nothing. Um, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. This, this is a miserable business that I've started here. See, some of us lack for joy and lack for happiness. And you know why? Because we fall into the idea that we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. The Bible says in the New Testament, it is always unwise to compare. You know, you know why? I'm going to get to the root of, uh, let me give you the big picture of what Solomon is saying. And it's this, there's no win in comparison. You can't win. Did you know that? There's no win in comparison because guess what? Number one, you will know, you, there will always be somebody prettier than you, smarter than you, richer than you. So can you ever win? No. Let's say that even inside of a pocket group of people that you're smarter and better and prettier and whatever-er in that pocket of people. What have you done then? There, there's no win. Now you've elevated yourself over another person. Now, let, let, me, let me give you some ideas here. Sometimes we like it when people fall into the category of, well, they're heavier, they're slower, shorter, poorer, nerdier. That's me today with my glasses on. I feel really smart today, though, by the way. I just want you to know that. I do. I like a math teacher. I'm smarter today. And a little bit nerdier, I think, too. But I'm okay with that because I'm rocking nerdy today. So, but my point is this, is that when we get, see, there's no win in comparison. Because now all of a sudden you're better because they're this-er, 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 and this-er. Does that mean, do you see the evil of our heart? We're trying to one-up and be better than all while comparison. There's no win in comparison. There's not. Somebody is always losing at any given point in time. And by the way, you're always losing. And if in the pocket of people you think you're winning, you're really not. But you're making them lose. Either way, you are going to be lost. One way or the other, if, if, if you are lesser than everybody else around you, you have all of a sudden lacked the confidence that God wants you to have in yourself and you're, you're not where you need to be, so you're not winning. If you're in a group of people and you think you're better than everybody else, pride has entered your heart. You're losing either way. There is no way to win when you compare. That's why Solomon said this too. It's meaningless. You are chasing after the wind. There's no finish line. You'll never get there. If you live like this, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. There will be no finish line. He said, be careful. That's a miserable business. And today, some of you, I think, are recognizing, wow, I do that. I didn't think it was that bad. We all do it. Some point, sometime, some category, we all do it. We start looking at what somebody else has and we think we want it. It might even make us feel a little bit better if they lost it. This is the, the evil that is envy. I want you to do four things for me today. 
Um, there, there are four things that I want you to practically walk out of this place and begin to do and to live out today. Are you ready? Number one is this, is, is I want you to stop thinking better than, worse than. You, you've got to. I, I want you to begin to catch yourself. You're driving down the road. You see that car, catch yourself. You're driving through the neighborhood, catch yourself. Don't even drive through the neighborhood if it's just to look at what everybody else has that you don't. You're, you're setting yourself up to compare. Does that make sense? Like, stop. Stop dealing. When you look at other ladies, stop looking at other ladies thinking you want that part of their body. Okay? That's just weird. Um, a little bit, yeah. It's understandable. But to a dude, that's a little odd. So, I don't want your beard. My point is to stop dealing in the realm of better than worse than. Watch your language and watch your thoughts. We're always trying to one up, even with our, with our kids. Some of you guys, I'm telling you, you're driving your kids bananas right now. You know why? It's because you want your kid to be better than the other kids. And so you keep pushing them in the name of progress, in the name of I want them to do their best. You keep pushing them. But I'm telling you, in, the, in your heart of hearts, you are comparing your kids to some other kids. And you want your kids to be better than them kids. Stop it. You are literally pushing your kids away in the name of progress. Check yourself. Watch yourself when you're always dealing in the realm of comparison, of better than, worse than. Be careful. Number two is this. Is, don't hang. Stop it. Every time somebody, every, listen to me. If your, heart, if your heart breaks a little bit every time a friend of yours succeeds, envy is in your heart. If, if every time something great happens to someone you know and your heart breaks just a little bit, envy is in your heart. Stop it. Stop hating every time somebody gets the promotion. Stop hating every time somebody exceeds or succeeds in life or excels in life. Stop it. Let that be an indicator. Whenever I, whenever I feel small because they succeeded, you need to know that envy is in your heart. As a matter of fact, you know what the real cure is this? And this is what some of you need to do. That's why I said you need to, I want you to go do these things. Many of you... When your heart cracks and crumbles just a little bit at their success, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to them. I want you to verbally celebrate them. I want you to verbally congratulate them. Here's why. Because as we learn to give somebody else praise and encouragement and celebration, envy will begin to melt away off of our heart. Don't sit back and be like, God, I've got envy in my heart. I'm going to pray about this. No, no, no. Stop it. Stop. That's weird. Pastor told you to stop praying. Pray. That's fine. But you can pray, and some of you have done this. You might pray for a really long time to get envy off your heart. Sometimes prayer is not the answer to our problem. Does that make sense? I've told you this before. Like you, some of you have greed in your heart, and the answer is not pray about. The answer is write a check. Because as you give, it, something begins to break off your heart. You've heard me say that before. I'm telling you, if you want envy to break off of your heart, the answer is not pray about it. That's not the solution that the Bible would prescribe. You should pray at all times. So don't think I don't want you to pray. But when it comes to battling against that poison of envy, the answer is not pray more about it. The answer is go celebrate somebody. And I promise you, what you'll feel is you'll feel some tension in your heart. You'll feel this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, the more and more you do it, you'll feel it melt away. Has anybody ever experienced that before? You went and forced yourself to celebrate. What did you feel? You felt something fall away off of you. That's why we don't hate every time somebody succeeds. We congratulate and we celebrate. And I don't mean this in our mind. I mean this with our words towards them. Number three is this, is be grateful with no buts. Be grateful with no buts. There, there's, a, there's a great quote that says, Envy is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. That's what envy is. It's when we, we 
I'm, I'm telling you, we need to celebrate the goodness of God in our own life. We need to celebrate. See, when we have envy, we're never truly grateful people, are we? As long as you're looking over your shoulder at what you don't have and what you wish they didn't have and what you want of theirs, you are never looking at what God has given you and being grateful for what God has given you right here in the right now. And many of us do this. We make grateful statements like people come to you and they'll come over to your house. like, Oh, you have such a wonderful home. Yeah, it's, it's nice, but uh, we got to fix this and do this. And I want to redo the kitchen. I really like the kitchen. And we do. Stop it. Be grateful with no buts. People are like, hey, man, you, you know, you've lost some weight. You're doing great. I'm so proud. Of you look all the way. Yeah, but I'm still not happy. I still got about 25 to go. And you, you're always focusing on your butt. I mean, well, you're focusing on the. The ex, that sounded weird. The exception of what you don't like about the very thing that you ought to be grateful about. Oh, man, you have the best family. Yeah, but, you know, we're trying to do this. Right? Oh, you have the you have such a cool this. That's so cool. That you have, yeah, but, you know, we got to stop. Stop with the butts. You know, next time somebody says something like, hey, I'm so grateful to thank you so much. I really do. I'm glad that's in my life as well. Just appreciate it. Now, here's what I want you to do. Like this is this is homework. Now, I give out homework rarely because I didn't like school much. And most of you probably don't either. So this is your homework assignment. Are you ready? Are you taking notes? Many of you are taking mental notes. I don't see any movement. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a list of what I'm grateful for. I want you to make a list. Because Solomon later, I didn't write this one down. Solomon later goes on to say about a chapter later. He goes, be careful that you keep your eyes on what is in front of you rather than looking at everything else around you. And it was his way of saying like, make an inventory of what's right there. Make an inventory and a list of what God has already given you, because in the moments where you're envious of everybody else and wanting everything that everybody else has, I guarantee you in that moment, you're not thinking about what God has given you. Let me let me read for you just some thoughts. Hey, I, this is my list. I wrote I wrote my own list. I um, I smoke what I sell. So. Listen to this. Y'all are really good people that the people that didn't get that joke are really good people. All you people that knew exactly what I was talking about. Okay, stop it. I was when I was a teenager. So listen to me. Make, here's, here's what I'm thankful for. First and foremost, listen to me. This is my list personally. I, I thought about this and I, I stopped. I could have kept going. I'm thankful for God's grace in my life. I'm so thankful. Sometimes you just got to sit back and say, where would I be had God not intervened in my life? Where would I be had God not touched my heart? Where would I be had God not rescued me, redeemed me, saved me? Dear Lord, have mercy. Thank God for his grace in my life. Number two is this. I thank God for my wife. My wife is incredible. She is super awesome and amazing. I love my wife. I literally um, sit back and thank God for my wife from time to time. I thank God for my kids. I have three amazing little kids. I got 10, 7, and 4. They are awesome. They are super unique and different and fun. And I love them to death. I was watching my three-year-old run through because she's in that classroom over there. And she's, she's four years old. I'm sorry. And so she literally is, she's, she's part puppy. Um, <laughs> She is, you know, how like puppies are just fun to watch because they're cute, they're mischievous and they're innocent all at the same. That's my, my daughter is part puppy because she will do the most mischievous things and then smile about it. And she's wonderful. My son, I could get going. Um, I, I'm thankful for my job. I, I love the job that I have. I love, I want you, I wrote this down too. I love the people in this church. Like, I love you. Like, I want you to know, I pray for you. I love you. When, when, when you come into my mind, I get excited. I, I, I love being around you. I love pastoring this church because y'all are a pleasure to pastor. I hear other people and, and I get around because I 
bugging around other pastors and they complain about stuff they deal with. And I feel like I'm not a part of the club because I just don't complain about that stuff. I have awesome people around me and this church is full of awesome people. So thank you. Um, I, I'm thankful for my friends. I have some great friends. Being a pastor, it's hard to have, you know, great friendships. It, it's just there's a struggle there. And so I have a few really just divine friendships that God's given me. So thankful. Hey, I, I, I'm thankful for Livermore. If you don't live here, you should move here. Um, I love Livermore and Pleasanton and Dublin are great too, but I, I love Livermore. I love the town that I live in. I, I love, um, I love, I love, look, America ain't perfect, but I love living in the country that I live in. When you think back, you think, God, what, what if I'd have been born here or there? Well, there? There are some places in the world where evil runs rampant, where there is not freedom, where there is not, America ain't perfect, but doggone, it's still the best. It is absolutely fantastic. And you, the, the Bible said, this is why we pray for our leaders and, and they ain't perfect. We pray for them. Does that make sense? At any given time, half the, half the country hates the president. Pray for them. Okay. It ain't an easy job. Pray for them. I know you don't like them. Pray for them. You don't disagree with their policies. I don't care. Pray for them. Pray for your country. We, 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 like I said, it's not perfect, but it's still incredible. We, we should be thankful for the country we live in. And then lastly, my mom is here from South Carolina and, and she's in town hanging out with me. And I'm thankful for my parents. I had two wonderful, wonderful parents. I do. Um, my dad passed away just a couple of years ago. We were reflecting on dad, thinking about dad earlier. I'm so thankful. When I was a kid, I used to, I used to be, you know, sometimes angry or resentful for my dad for things I didn't think worked out right. And the older I got, the more things became clear, the more, more compassionate and sympathetic or merciful or, or more I understood. And I realized my dad did his best. And I'm so thankful that I had him because, man, there were, there were so many different cases and situations where I heard people with, with just terrible situations. In the end, I look back, I, was, I had a great dad. I had a great mom. My mom's here with me today. And she's an absolutely fantastic, wonderful woman. Um, love her to death. So thank you. I, I guess I could keep going with this list. I, I'm telling you, when we start making that inventory and we start focusing on what we do have Instead of looking around at everything we don't have, you know what you're going to find? You're going to be a happier person. You're going to be a more joy-filled person. Let me read you this last scripture. The Bible says this. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it. Always remember that simple wisdom. I'm telling you, all this stuff that you think you want, all this stuff that you want so bad. Let me help you real quick. It's going to break. It's going to end up in a garage sale. Your kids are going to fight over it, you know, at one point in time. Um, it, it, it's all going to be gone. The Bible says that at the end of days that God wipes this world clean and rebuilds it. It's all gone. Okay? So everything that you spend your whole life salivating over, it's not going to last. You know what lasts? People last. People last. Be careful that you set your priorities on the right thing. And we stop pursuing stuff and looking over our shoulder, wanting what everybody else has, or even having a little bit of happiness when they lose what they have. And remember what God has given us. I'm telling you, you will be a happier person for us. Because you, you know what you'll do? You'll live free and you'll travel light and you'll be happier for it. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we bless you today. And God, we pray that this would be a life message. That, God, we would go out of this place and, Holy Spirit, here's what I would love. Holy Spirit, if you could, every time we start comparing, like, shake us. Every time we start comparing and looking over our shoulder, nudge us. Be like, mm-hmm. Do whatever it is that you need to do to get our attention, to make us recognize that we've done it again. That we're looking to our right, we're looking to our left, we're comparing ourselves to every other person. God, make it known to us, make it obvious. And in that moment, God, let us turn to you. In that moment, let us turn to you and begin to pray a prayer of gratitude. Every time somebody else succeeds and we, and we get a little bit upset, God, give us the courage to go and celebrate them. Out loud, with our words, celebrate them. Get them a card. Get them some candy. Buy them some. Do something. Celebrate them, God. God, let us, let us live this life baggage free, Lord God. 
Above all, God, the thing that that makes us satisfied in life is you. It's you, God. Without a personal relationship with you, we will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter how envious or not we are. And so, God, we pray that above all, that in our heart, we would turn towards you. That, God, you'd be the centerpiece of our life. That, Jesus, your death on the cross would always be the thing that keeps us grounded. That reminds us of your goodness and your faithfulness and your wonder. God, I pray, Lord God, let us always keep our eyes on you. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?